0: Hello everyone and welcome to episode two of the Utah Film Pod. My name is Josh Terry, I'm here with Danny Hatch and we've got some movie stuff to talk about. How you doing Danny?
1: I'm doing pretty all right. You know it's been a crazy little bit with um, the summer semester wrapping up so stress is high, immune system is down, it's knocked out for a couple of weeks in bed but it gave me a lot of time to watch a lot of the stuff that we're going to be covering today so I'm oh, really excited.
0: So you're coming prepared, I'm finding <laughs> something, something to do to get out of the summer heat.
1: Exactly. No, it's been miserably hot. It's nice having a little bit of rain.
0: I've never, I've never been so excited to get a little bit of rain. But, right? But I'm excited about the movies too. So we've got one big movie that we're going to be talking about, and uh, there's plenty of stuff going on in the news. So how about we start off with that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So some exciting Utah releases we have this week. Uh, specifically this weekend for Pioneer Day, we have the premiere of Echo People, a film by Utah's own Trent Harris that will be premiering at the McNeil International Film Festival, and I was looking up this film festival, and McNeil is, like, a really, really small town, like a population yeah. of, like, 300 people, right? Right, um, right. I think it's so cool that they're, they have their own little yearly film festival, and, um... This film's really exciting, Um, kind of for this niche crowd, but this is considered a sequel to Ruben and Ed, which you, Josh, have told me about. Um, This is a very indie Utah kind of film that uh, you really enjoy. Would you mind giving a little background on that?
0: Oh, sure. No, uh, Ruben and Ed came out in 1991. It was kind of a, I mean, it's really very much the definition of a cult film, um, specifically kind of just within... The, the Utah boundaries. I don't know if it's it's very well known outside of Utah, uh, but it was filmed um, partially in Salt Lake, partially in Goblin Valley. Uh, if you have some familiarity with with any of those areas, you'll you'll recognize some things. Actually, the two main characters meet right in front of a building that I w- worked in for five years, and and of course Goblin Valley is very uh, very iconic. Uh, there's some crazy stuff going on there, and and it's just this weird kind of buddy comedy about this this mismatched. Couple of guys. One is played by Crispin Glover, you know, from uh, Back to the Future. The other one's Howard Hessman, who is, uh, had a big role in WKRP in Cincinnati years ago, uh, the TV show. And the two of them basically drive out in the middle of southern Utah to bury a frozen cat. And uh, <laughs> that's that's. I mean, it's, there's more there's more to it than that, but that's that's essentially um, no. And just uh, it's it's actually quite funny because if you if you have seen the clip on YouTube where Crispin Glover goes on. Uh, David Letterman and and almost kicks him. Uh, that's he's in the Reuben character for that he, with the kind of like the long strange wig and the the, the striped bell bottom pants and the the crazy elevator shoes. Um, that's always been kind of a, a very mysterious chapter from uh, many many people's lives, um, <laughs> David's and and uh, uh, Crispin's of course. But uh, there's there's more of a connection there. And if you've seen Reuben and Ed. It, makes a little bit more sense but uh yeah so so it's cool that uh we're gonna be getting a sequel to Ruben and Ed 30 years later
1: yeah no um all these years later it's kind of shrouded in mystery a little bit I'm there's not a lot um about the plot uh it's not on IMDb so who knows if there's a return of uh the characters but um it, it, it seems like a really exciting thing to be shown at a very small um, film festival this weekend so that'll be fun to check out if um, any of you do go and see it please let us know um, if you enjoyed it. So.
0: Absolutely Big yeah. Nell's just down down by the Capitol Reef area down down through Torrey if you've been through that area and uh, pretty cool place to have a film festival I'd say.
1: Yeah, well it's a good spot. Something else we have Uh, in the news section. We talked about The Chosen a little bit last episode because the final episode uh, for season two was premiering when we were releasing that episode. And so I was able to finish season one. I had started it um, a little bit ago and got to finally finish that and just binge-watch all of season two in just a couple of days, which was kind of an incredible experience. It's a very... Emotional, impactful show. So, uh, I, I I was really, really impressed uh, by what I saw, and I, I'm curious, Josh, um, what what you think of it. I have a review on the Utah Film website about my thoughts, right. but just wondering what you thought of it.
0: Well, so I'm not quite as far along as you are. I'm still back in season one, uh, but what I've seen so far has been really impressive. Of course, I've been hearing about it for a while now. I've had mm-hmm. many people recommend it to me, and you know. Uh, for for a variety of reasons, you know, one of which is that a it's recorded or it's a uh, you know filmed in Utah, so oh, yeah. there's kind of the local the local connection. Um, one of my initial takeaways from it was just that uh, you know the acting's really quite good. Um, I know mm-hmm. that, you know, if if we're being if we're being honest, uh, when it comes to smaller, low-budget, you know, productions, uh, a lot of times it'll be kind of obvious that, you know, some of the actors are, not at the at the you know not the best and it's a little little obvious that there's there's some stiffness and I remember getting through in fact I think it was at uh, some point in the second episode I just realized that you know the acting hasn't been distracting at all here I'm just immersed in this you know I'm just kind of watching it like a regular tv show and so I mean it's still it's still apparent that it's a a smaller budget production, right? I mean, especially when you think about the, the biblical epics of the 1950s, you know, it was all mm-hmm. about kind of the, the grandeur of the scale and the, the cast of thousands and all this. And, and this is a much more intimate production where, you know, it, it looks really good, but you're kind of seeing smaller, uh, you know, venues and, and smaller interactions between just a, a few characters. Uh, but, of course, there's an advantage to that, and, and I think that it's doing a nice job of exploring its, its subject matter, which, of course, is the New Testament. I mean, it's, it's set during the time of the Gospels, but it's not just a retelling of the Gospels, right? It almost seems like it's happening parallel to, to a lot of the major stories in the New Testament where we're seeing and interacting with characters that we're familiar with, people like Peter and, and Matthew, uh, Mary Magdalene, right? But it's not just kind of going verse by verse and just retelling the stories, you know, from the New Testament. And and I think that that interesting angle adds, you know, kind of a cool element to it.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. I think I was kind of nervous for it at first because it took me a while to get to it because it, it did seem like, oh, it's this kind of casual um, retelling, artistic licenses and all that. But Mm-hmm. really, I think they do it in such a very... Uh, the word you used, immersive, I think is perfect. It's it's very immersive. It feels like this is definitely how it could have happened. Yeah. Um, they're, they're very natural relationships and character developments that make a lot of sense, you know? And um, you see that especially in season two, now that the the posse, the crew is all gathered together and now they're just figuring out what they're supposed to do as these nomads, you know? Right. And um, it's it's very fun to watch. Uh, I would say that season two looks a little higher budget, and I think a lot of it is because it was shot in, in Goshen. It's a great set, and so um, that adds to that immersive experience. Um, so that's been really fun to see this time around.
0: Well, and the the nature of the production is, is different in terms of the financing, right? Because oh, it's, yeah. It's a it's a crowdsourced you know, it, it, the, the budget is effectively coming from, from donations and, and it, they're kind of paying as they go in a way.
1: Yeah. No, um, I love what they're doing with this. And I think, um, y- you know, putting the religious story aside, just the production, um, is very, very interesting to look at because they're doing things in a totally unique way. They're you know, it, it's not unheard of to be financed by fans or anything, but to have something of this high quality just from um, uh, crowdfunding is pretty incredible. And that they're still generating this revenue from their streaming service, um, wh- which is also very unique because the way that it works, um, they have an app. And uh, when you go to the app, you can watch an episode and it's already been paid for. By someone who has donated money um, to the to the project, and uh, you can also pay it forward is how it's called and um, they're just relying on the generosity of people to keep this project going and they're I, I think it's over halfway through funding for season three they have like eight seasons planned they're really taking out their their time to flesh this story out and mm-hmm. um, I think they can do it considering uh, this support that they have and I, I think it makes this um, production really fun to look at too. I follow them on social media um, and they have a really great connection with their audience. They're constantly giving updates, they're um, generating this content of videos, pictures, here are the highs and lows of this whole production. and. It's it's kind of cool because they are being accountable to their their sponsors, right? They're basically their producers, right? And um, yeah, and I just I love that. I think it's been um, just such a a unique, interesting project to follow.
0: Yeah, the the connection between the producers and the audience is very close, yeah. Almost almost integral, yeah. You know, and and so I think that you know the questions of accountability. And financing and production, you know, it's 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 really going to be interesting to see if this if this has a ripple effect elsewhere. You know, especially just coming out of the pandemic, I think that we are poised to see some things change. Uh, of course, that are already changing mm-hmm. uh, that that may be accelerated as a result of you know just just the advent of technology and the advances there, plus just you know things that have happened out of obligation because of because of social distancing and and the pandemic itself, and so it will be. You know I, I wonder if if this kind of a production is going to be looked back on as as some kind of a landmark. You know based on the way that we, uh, you know the way that we consume media ten twenty years from now.
1: Yeah, I c- I could totally see that they're definitely pioneering this this new idea that so many people could could adopt for their own projects and it's kind of an interesting idea like one one team like one production can create an entire streaming service just for this one show so who knows um the the implications there are for that uh, that we'll be able to see for other future future media stuff
0: yeah no it, it feels like an opportunity for audiences you know, and, and specifically here, we're talking about you know a, a religious audience that that has particular yeah. uh, interests and desires, and and has you know has criticisms and concerns about a lot of the mainstream media. You know, the opportunity to kind of dictate, you know, this is what I want to see, and this is what I want people to mm-hmm. produce, and so I will, you know, you can kind of effectively put your money where your mouth is, and saying this is what you want, then go out and support it, and you can do it directly. And here's this you know, it's, it's, it's very unique. It's very, it's very, uh, I don't want to overuse the word interesting, but, (laughs) but I think, but I think that there's a, there's a compelling, uh, element here that again, I just, I I could see it being applied elsewhere as well, because it's, you know, it's certainly not confined to, you know, to religious stories or anything like that. Um, I mean, it could be applied to all kinds of smaller, uh, more independent productions. And so we'll just have to see where it goes.
1: Yeah, no, I, I definitely hope to see more things like that in the future. So that's, that's what I've been able to watch a lot of recently, but I'm really excited to hear what you got to see this week.
0: That's right. Yeah, so I, I was able to just see M. Night Shyamalan's new movie, Old, which I am sad to say is probably going to burst the bubble of excitement, sad to say. Um no. There are some, yeah, no, It it starts off quite well and it has a really fascinating premise um but it doesn't really deliver in the end Uh, i wouldn't call it a bad movie but the ending feels more like a shrug than a wow if that makes sense and and in his genre you know because this is very much of his uh, horror suspense thriller style there's kind of a build and a build and a build and oh what's going to happen what's what's going on and then the resolution feels logical but kind of unsatisfying Um, so the story is based around uh, these three different families and they're all at the same tropical island resort and they've all been suffering from a variety of uh, mental and physical illnesses and maladies and and the resort management winds up individually recruiting each of the families to get together and go enjoy some time on this private beach that they that they have and so they wind up all together in this one location and one thing leads to another and they realize that there are these strange properties on this beach that are messing with time specifically it's accelerating time you know they're there for a couple of hours and they discover that their kids are suddenly teenagers, right? The, the six-year-old and the eleven-year-old are now, you know, twelve and, and and seventeen or whatever, and and so there's this very kind of compelling question: Well, what is going on here, you know? And and who's doing this? Is that are you know what's because you can they can actually tell that they're being watched, right? They look at the the mountains in the distance and they and they can see people kind of watching them, but they can't get off of this beach because you know the when they try to retrace their steps, they wind up having kind of this this weird, uh, distorting experience that kind of kicks them back there. Um, it's really it's yeah. when, when you yeah when you describe it like this it, it's it's really funky and it's <laughs> I mean it's really funky to watch too right it's it's a it's it's an M Night Shyamalan movie and if you are familiar with his style and kind of the way that he presents. Kind of these curious, strange goings on in in some of his films, it's very much in line with that. And so, so I think that there will be things if you consider yourself a fan of his stuff uh, that will be will fall right in line with with a lot of you know what I consider his uh, his better movies. But the trouble for me is that after kind of setting the stage in this way, it doesn't really deliver at the end and. I wouldn't even describe it as like a major twist like it's it's not quite a big twist ending because there's obviously this drive towards resolving why this is happening and what's going on and it just doesn't really you know again deliver is is the term i would use um it actually kind of reminds me of the tv show lost oh which okay yeah a lot of people it's just it, there's a very similar setting, uh, a very similar style. Mm. Um, I mean, it's it's effectively the TV show Lost in movie form, and you know I always felt like Lost was good because it had this really suspenseful story, but then it also had these really great, well developed characters. And Old feels like it's got the suspenseful story, at least at the beginning. But it doesn't have the time spent on the characters, and it unfortunately ends kind of the way Lost did, which is, you know, that it didn't really solve all those questions and those mysteries in a satisfying way. But where Lost had the characters to kind of enjoy, you know, Old just hasn't really done enough with its characters to you know, across the finish line, so to speak. And so, yeah, I don't know. I was disappointed because I was looking forward to it. and I, I really liked the idea. I really liked the, you know, and there's some, some really great things about it. The cinematography is really interesting. There's a lot of kind of creative angles and, and different things. And, and just again, like a lot of potential, but the follow through, you know, the, the pieces just don't come together. So I'm sorry, your summer is going to be crushed. <laughs>
1: Well, I, I don't know. <laughs> well, listen, I'm I'm not too worried because I have a long history of not agreeing with critics when it comes to Shyamalan films because I am actually a big fan of his films. And um, even films that aren't considered as popular are some of my favorite ones. Uh, the Sixth Sense was one of the, the last movies um, that I saw of his. So for me, um, uh, a lot of his... I don't know start of decline kind of movies as they might be framed are are genuinely some of my favorites and and i think it's interesting that you pointed this out with the ending because i I think that's a big focus with his films that kind of Mm -hmm. does hurt him in the end because he's never going to get as strong of a twist as he did like his first time you know
0: exactly exactly
1: and so for me his films haven't necessarily been as much about the twist as much as they've been just about his style i love his style it's so different uh we talked last time about how some directors will kind of exploit audiences for the oh we're gonna have explosions and action craziness and just put all that stuff on repeat and um, and, and call that a movie. Whereas, Shaman's films are kind of the opposite. They're very slow. Um, mm-hmm. they kind of make you think a little bit more. Some more than others, granted. I, I don't necessarily think he's perfect, but, you know, he's he's striving for something every time. He, he loves his style, he has this artistic vision, and he's gonna do it whether you end up liking it or not in the end. And I just, I love him for it. I really, really do. So I, I might be standing alone in that, but um, well, I mean I
0: follow I follow what you're saying. I don't yeah. I don't disagree with I don't disagree with what you're saying because I I, I totally agree that he has a very singular and unique style. Uh, if you don't want to use the term slow deliberate is, is the nice way of yeah it, right? yeah. Like, I, but uh, but I think that there's there's kind of a a drawn-out kind of quirky delivery that that really seems unique to his movies, and I, I enjoy that, and I, mm-hmm. I enjoy a lot of his his style and just kind of like the little, you know, the the, the little particular quirks that he uses. Mm-hmm. Um, the trouble, I think, and and again, I mean, it could be for me mm-hmm. and for you know a lot of a lot of people um, who did see Six Sense. At, at first, mm-hmm. right? So so Sixth Sense has the advantage of being not just a unique style, you know, a, a unique movie in terms of style, but it also has that great story that really culminates in just that shocking finale. Mm-hmm. And so when his other movies still have the style, but don't deliver on the story, it just, it feels like he's coming up short. And and I say this as as someone who... Has not been quite as critical as, as others in terms of his his work. I mean, I think that the the general trajectory, you know, that, that I think most people kind of uh, presume for for his his career is that you know he started really strong with uh, you know with the Sixth Sense and Unbreakable was good if not quite as good, and Signs was pretty good. And then around the time of the village, I think people started to. You know, it might have been a kind of a question of fatigue too, because there was a sense of obligation, like, oh, there's got to be some big twist, and so we spend the whole movie anticipating the twist instead of just getting into the story, Mm -hmm. uh, which could be, which which could be, you know, another another point uh, worth exploring. But once you know, once we get past the village, you know, now we're kind of getting in. You know, he's he's getting away from horror suspense and exploring some other genres, which of course, you know, is totally, you know, encouraged, I would say for for directors, you know, but, but the movies themselves just didn't seem as satisfying. Um, Now I, I never did see uh, The Happening or Last Airbender. I did see Lady in the Water. Mm -hmm. Um, After Earth was one of the first movies of his that I reviewed professionally and really just kind of, I was, I was intrigued by the idea but that one like I I liked old a lot more than After Earth let's put it that way like in spite of its flaws I enjoyed old a lot more than After Earth so the way I see it is those first three or four films were very much the horror suspense you know thriller genre Mm -hmm. and then his so far his middle period has kind of gone off in some other directions which in and of itself obviously was not bad but the, the results I think were a lot more questionable and it seems like those are the movies that you know were much more criticized. Um, of course, happening was True. supposed to be a straight horror movie, right? Um, yeah. For me, the turning point uh, recently was *The Visit*, which felt like a return to his his original style and focus. And I actually, I, I really enjoyed *The Visit*. I don't think it got a really great reception, but but I felt like it was him just totally getting, getting back, back to you know, this is what you do well, right? And and then. Split, I really enjoyed um, split
1: was fantastic and I'm, and I'm glad there is kind of more of a consensus on that. I hope I think there are some people who are still kind of a little unsure
0: no and and glass well, glass I think people got a lot, got really excited for because of the end of split, you know to kind of think that all oh, there's this tie into unbreakable and all oh, there's, I this, I there's was so this' cool pumped. trilogy yeah and and it it really in retrospect. I can understand what he was doing logically, but it still felt like kind of a letdown. Um, of course, Old doesn't have anything to do with any of his other previous movies, but it, it feels like he's back in more of his, his traditional territory. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, critically, I think, you know, and I've, I've heard you suggest as much that it kind of feels like there are a lot of critics who have just never given him a break since those first few movies. You know, yeah. That, that there's kind of a predetermined attitude, like, oh, it's Shyamalan, it's it's no good, and
1: this. Yeah. Is no, I, I'm I'm really nervous about the damage with that. Yeah.
0: Yeah, because the the way I see it, I um, I really enjoyed his early movies, kind of lost interest midway, and then have been happy to see what he's produced over the last few years, even though they're a little more hit and miss. And and I wish that old was a
1: hit. Don't worry, dear listeners, it'll probably be a hit for me. I'll, I'll be the one writing the <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. Um, you'll, you'll be one I, I of the dedicated fair. few. <laughs> exactly. I might be the only one. Because like, I, I do like a lot of the ones that um, strayed kind of from his style i i liked seeing him branch out and and i hope that you know he's not being mm-hmm. forced back into this
0: oh but those but those were the first ones you saw right
1: true exactly so i um, i mean like i watched the last airbender when i was a kid and that was a kid movie you know yeah. so like i was down i i i thought the story was great because you know the story of the show is fantastic right so yeah the, no i i definitely grew up with shaman in a very different sense. And maybe that's, you know, why I have that feeling that I have for him. But I, I like what you said about the critics thing, because I, I am so sick of the hate <laughs> um, because I do think he's so talented. I don't think it's deserved. You know, he's not, he's not a bad director. Um, he's very different and it's easy to pick on him, you know? Um, but it, You know, I I think the criticism has definitely swayed the public opinion, but sometimes the critics don't really have that power over the audience, and the audience chooses to go against what the critics are saying, and there's kind of this dissonance between the two, right? And I've found that really fascinating. Like, I've kind of stopped looking at Rotten Tomato scores because it feels like so many times there's, you know, these clashing opinions and... I I'm just want to pick your, pick your mind yeah on. no
0: I well it's interesting that you use the term power um, I've I've never really you know in cer- certainly from my own you know my own modest reach I've never really <laughs> felt like I had much power over o- over the uh, the success or failure of a uh, of a movie but I I, I follow what you mean what th- what you're saying though because I think that there is there is a debate. Um, you know, Superman versus Batman. I think from a few years, or Bat, was it Batman versus Superman? I can't remember <laughs> which one.
1: Whichever superhero you prefer. Yeah, That's the only well, I know.
0: Watch. Yeah, I mean, I know. I know that there were the, there was a debate as to whether or not the the negative critical response had an impact on the actual monetary success of the movie. You know, and and Interesting. which is yeah. Well, I I certainly think it's worth a debate. Mm-hmm. Um, I. I kind of, I kind of, I kind of smirk at it myself because most of the impression that I've gotten over the years, as I've done this professionally, is that you know more often than not people tend to be kind of cynical about you know the opinions of critics. You know, I, I've heard on numerous occasions people say, "Oh, it's just critics. What do critics know? Critics don't know anything." And 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 so there's this. Like you say, there's kind of this weird dissonance between the world of critics and what they're saying versus the audiences, which is really kind of sad because you would assume, right, that the purpose of a critic is to, you know, see, you know, there's there's supposed to be a connection between the critics and the audience. Just to say, okay, well, we're going to go out and see these movies and we're going to help you decide which ones are worth your time, mm-hmm. right? And so it, it's a service, right? Yeah. There's a... There, there's a relationship there. There should be a relationship there, where you are, as a critic, working on behalf of your readers to to give them good information and and direction and that. And and I think that that I mean I've I've tried to maintain that. I you know especially uh, what was really particular about that when I was reviewing a lot of kids movies because obviously it's not for me, but I'm trying to think of you know what's the best, you know, what do the parents need to know here? You know because not everybody's going to go see as many movies as I am and and when you see 3 4 5 movies in a week you know you're you're going to have a different experience than than somebody who's just going a few times a year
1: mm-hmm. and and
0: I think that's part of the source of that dissonance is that you know something that might just be totally harmless and enjoyable for for your your everyday audience member might be something that that I'll see and just think oh my gosh they're doing this again here's this cliche and this cliche and this cliche because I'm seeing it three dozen times in a year as opposed to the one time when you know this you know hypothetical audience member (laughs) just goes to just goes to see a movie and so so there's definitely this gap and there's this separation but I don't know I just I feel like it's kind of tragic because I feel like Yes, I'm giving my opinion, and yes, I, you know, there's there's a style and a and a performance to to writing a good review, right? Mm -hmm. But ultimately, I'm still supposed to be offering a service. I'm supposed to be giving something of value. And if things are so bad that people are just going to automatically kind of dismiss the idea of anything that that a critic says, you know, and I, I don't think it's quite that bad, but it's. It's a dysfunctional relationship. Let's say that. It's a dysfunctional relationship. <laughs>
1: well, hopefully we can do what we can to uh, repair the relationship. But, you know, I'm, I, I'm definitely on the side of the cynicism towards critics, I think. And the the thing that... And unfortunately I haven't seen this with you, Josh. I, I do think you're one of the good ones out there. Oh, um, well, but, <laughs> no, but sometimes I see um, critics kind of do this... I don't know. They're like, I'm a writer. I'm an artist, you know. And so some th- this review I saw on Rotten Tomatoes for the Boss Baby family business, which is one of the movies that I saw, and I wrote a review yeah. on, and I loved it. I thought it was fun. It was just hilarious, very solid story. Um, and uh, the critic consensus says it's more C-level than C-suite, But as a painless diversion for the kids, the Boss Baby manages some decent family business. So, you know, probably felt very good about (laughs) writing that, like, oh, I'm so clever. Mm -hmm. But then the audience says, cute animation, funny jokes, and a strong family message make the Boss Baby family business a solid sequel with all ages appeal. So, for me, like, what I want out of review is not necessarily as much of a a rating, though I do think there's something to be said for having some kind of ranking system so you know how things compare. But, you know, what I want is, like, I I want to know kind of what I'm walking into because, like you were saying, with Old, you're like, you know, I I didn't like the ending, but if you like M. Night Shyamalan, you know, you're you're probably going to like this. So I probably will like Old, based on what you're saying, because I love his style. I don't necessarily care as much about the twist, right? So, you know, having... A critic review where it's like there's no detail it's like well why do you think it's you know this sea level it's just a painless diversion Mm -hmm. like what about the story what about the style and you know as a critic I think what makes them valuable is that they have more experience more expertise and you know we can we can pick up on more things because it's like oh we we know about cinematography we know about the color schemes and the editing and camera Mm -hmm. angles and and we should be using those things as as evidence right so yeah no i think think there are a
0: couple right and and it should be and i and i think i think there are a couple things that that are going on that that might be responsible for you know this this dysfunction you know first of which is in in very practical terms you know as a critic uh you you not only have to give a verdict on a film right thumbs up thumbs down three Mm -hmm. stars you know, ABC, whatever, you kind of have to, well, not just back it up, but you have to fill content, you know, especially if you're, if you are, uh, writing for, you know, the paper website, whatever, you have to give specifics and details. And so as you're going to go into movies looking for things and, and looking a lot closer at things than you would be if you were just kind of a casual viewer. And so I think that's why, you know, I think with something like boss baby, uh, which I didn't see, and, and so I, I can't vouch for, for either side, mm-hmm. uh, in terms of the evaluation. But it it wouldn't surprise me to see that the audience, who is just going to see an enjoyable kids movie, would walk away and say, "Oh yeah, no, that was cute. That was fine. That was that was kind of sweet." Mm-hmm. But then the critics, who were kind of digging into it, and 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 this is kind of the second point I would make, is that not only are they looking for content, but there also has to be. Kind of a, a gradation or a spectrum, where, you know, if if I'm going to give four stars to, you know, and and I don't know if this is the, you know, getting away from from kids animation, but like if I'm going to give four stars to a movie like Raiders of the Lost Ark, which is just like this incredible, amazing action movie Mm -hmm. than when something like the mummy comes along, you know, the, the Brendan Fraser movies, which are (laughs) perfectly fine, you know, and and are fun and kind of enjoyable and stuff, but you know, I'm sorry, that's no Raiders of the Lost Ark. And so that can't be four stars, right? So it has to be less. Mm -hmm. And then, so, so maybe that's a three-star movie. And then along comes the, the Tom Cruise mummy movie, right? And okay, well this has got some real flaws. And so, suddenly that now we got to get down to like two stars or one star or something. And whereas if you just walk in to see the Tom Cruise movie, it might just be perfectly fine because it's, Oh, well, this is just, you know, it's, it's not great. It's not one of my all time favorite movies, but it's fine. Right. And so I think that a lot of times the audience score will reflect, not that something is awesome, but that it's perfectly good. It's perfectly passable, but then, in reflection, they'll also acknowledge that, okay, well, yeah, it's not nearly as good as some of these other ones. Whereas when you're evaluating as a critic, you kind of feel like you have to establish that that scale. And mm-hmm. you know, that's that's kind of what I encountered a lot when I was reviewing a lot of the a lot of the kids' movies is, you know, a lot of these movies are just perfectly fine. They're 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 sweet, they're they're cute, they got a nice message, whatever. But, you know, if if the family's only gonna go see a couple movies a year, and if they' gotta pay for tickets for everybody and food and and all this kind of stuff, you know I'm not gonna give my full endorsement to you know a lesser movie if I know that a Pixar's around the corner you know or or something that's that's really worthwhile and so so i i I don't know that that completely explains the difference
1: no, between but it's an interesting thought, yeah.
0: Yeah. No, because I I it's it, it is kind of sad, right? Because you would you would think that there would be more of a a consensus. And and a lot of times there is. I mean, I think with a lot of movies it's pretty obvious that oh yeah, well this is a good movie or this is a bad movie, right? But mm-hmm. but there are enough of these these kind of odd exceptions where the, you know the audience response is really high and the critics hated it or vice versa that we kind of question you know, what's, what exactly is going on here?
1: Yes. Which is why I think, you know, having those details really help out. But, you know, what I'm, th- what I'm thinking with you um, saying this is that it's kind of almost as if we have this finite amount of fours and ones we could give out during a year. So, you know, you have to, as a critic, you have to be more selective, right? Whereas average moviegoer, yeah. it's like, oh, that was amazing and that was the only one I saw this year, you know? So... Mm-hmm. I I think that's a a fair point with it. And um, it's easy to tell when it's going to be, like, the four star or the one star, typically. Like, something that's really, really great or really bad. But it's the in-between stuff that I think where we see a lot of the the debate happening. And a a great example for this, another movie that I saw recently, was The Tomorrow War, which is on Amazon Mm. Prime. And it's definitely um, a streaming service kind of movie. From what I can tell, like, it has a lot of problems, but that has so many things in it that it's it's so good, too. So I feel really torn, where it's like, you know, there, there are so many good and bad things. Like, I don't know if I would rate it highly or low, because, you know, it had those great things going for it, but other things I just, I, I can't vouch for. So,
0: no, and this, and this, I think that what you're describing is, is, is perfect because you know, if you, if you look closely enough at something, you're going to notice that almost even, even with really, really good movies or really, really bad thing, bad movies, you're going to find things to like and things to dislike, right? Yeah. It's, it's very rare that it's going to be, going to be perfect, Mm-hmm.
1: Um, or perfectly but, bad.
0: <laughs> well, and I and I think I think what is what is difficult is when either as, as a critic or an audience member, you're obligated to boil it down to just one single verdict, right? Because if if it's got a lot of good things going, but then there's kind of a little exception, you know. And, and I I spent years trying to figure out exactly where. You know what a two and a half star movie meant versus a three, or a three and a half. You know, I mean, I, I kind of felt like, well, a three star movie is a good movie. It's not a great movie, but it's perfectly fine, and I and I don't have any problem endorsing it. Right? If you if you saw me give something three stars, that's what that meant. Mm-hmm. If it was three and a half stars, that meant it impressed me. You know, it was good, but it was more than good, and it was something that that stood out and looked like they were making an extra effort. And it was something that, you know, I would more enthusiastically endorse, you know, and and the four stars were pretty rare. Mm -hmm. You know, it was, it was just something that, okay, I, I really just was knocked out by this. This is something really special. And, you know, and then the two and a half, I mean, sometimes it felt like I could give nine out of 10 movies two and a half stars, right? Because you're definitely giving credit for, the good, right? And there's definitely some good elements going on here. You know, I, I think of old as a two and a half star movie, because there are some things that I really liked about it, things that I really enjoyed, things that I know that, you know, just based on what you're telling me, I think you're really going to like about this movie. Mm-hmm. But, but just by virtue of the fact that, you know, 10 years from now, you're going to go down your list of of Shyamalan movies, or or just kind of thriller suspense movies in general and it's not sixth sense and it's not unbreakable and and it's not it's not even you know the visit and so so while i can see an objection to panning it right saying you know it's it's not a terrible movie it's not a bad movie but it's not as good as it could have been Mm -hmm. and and i think that That will become more and more clear, even if in the initial viewing, you know, because if if a lot of critics are just kind of nailing it to the wall and saying, oh, this is terrible. I think I I looked at it this morning. I think it was like 6.2 on IMDb or something, you know, which is is a little less than I would would give it. But that doesn't surprise me that it lands there. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's so I'll be, you know, maybe the next uh, next time we record, you'll have to tell me what you think.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I I really like your take on on that. How credit kind of has to be a little more picky in some ways.
0: Right. Well, and on behalf of the audience, I mean that's that's kind of my it's point true. is that that you know I I feel like you know and it's it's not just purely a pride thing where you know because I have to take I I feel accountable for if I endorse something you know that that's I'm pinning my credibility on that and mm-hmm. and if I if I give the, the thumbs up to, to a piece of crap, you know, that reflects poorly on me. But but beyond that, it's, you know, not, not that it's all about money, but honestly, I mean, if I'm endorsing a movie and and telling, you know, mom and dad to go take all four kids and to buy all the popcorn and the drinks and the candy and, and even if they're going to the matinee, I mean, that's still going to be a pretty expensive outing.
1: Absolutely. You yeah. know?
0: Money's important. You know, people are on a budget. And, and so if I'm going to tell people to go see something, I, I am thinking about those kind of questions. Um, I don't know that all critics are. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm sure there are a lot who, who aren't. Uh, but but that's something, you know, I don't know. I can I can ultimately only speak for myself.
1: Yeah. Oh, I think maybe, I don't know, for me, because, you know, I, I understand the reputation thing. Like, I, I'm nervous about declaring my love for... Shyamalan films, right? But, you know, that, that is a personal thing for me, right? So, I don't know, it's it's very rare for me to to really dislike a, a film. I think there are so many things to point out that are good. I like staying positive about it because, you know, it's such a cool industry and there's so much hard work that goes into it and...
0: I could, I could give you a list of movies if you want to hate some stuff.
1: <laughs> oh, there, I'll give you, there are I can few. give you plenty. <laughs> there are few, for sure. But, like, I mean, I, I think for me, that's why I say, like, I really want to be detailed. Because, like, for me, I think tastes are so different across the board where if I can at least communicate what a person might like and what a person might not like in a film, then mm-hmm. they can be the judge, you know? Yeah. And I feel like that's more my stance, and I'm a person who likes playing devil's advocate quite a lot. So maybe there's a a, a bit of that too, where it's like, well, I'm gonna like this because there there is this good stuff to be found. So, mm, so, so you know? you're
0: you're saying you're a Shyamalan <laughs> fan out of spite?
1: <laughs> hey, I was I was a Shyamalan fan before hearing all the haters. Okay, <laughs> the other stuff is out of spite. Don't yeah, you don't come you after me with the shampoos. <laughs> we'll go down no, that road no. if we need to. But.
0: <laughs> well, hey, so so speaking of speaking of coming after you.
1: Oh gosh. Uh,
0: I heard I heard we got a comment. <laughs> I heard we got some feedback.
1: Yeah, we did. In the
0: in the early days of the Utah Film Pod, we got a reaction.
1: <laughs> we did it. We made it. Um, and, and it's great because we made it out in Germany. That's where we got it from. Um,
0: nice,
1: But, yeah, no, absolutely, with that talk about, you know, we're here for the audience and everything, we really care about what our audience has to say. So this is from Jacob, talking about what we were saying with uh, the Real Housewives of the North Pole, and how you and I are both kind of a little apprehensive about the project, because mm-hmm. if it's not self-aware enough, it might be off-putting for us, right? So, Jacob here says... I do want to say that I disagree the point about reality TV. I mean, isn't the whole point of parody of that sort is that it's aimed at people who enjoy that kind of content or have had so much exposure to it that you can recognize and laugh at the tropes. If you don't know the real Housewives, why would you go see a parody of it? And I thought it was interesting because like, I am intrigued to see the parody because I, I like things that make fun of other things because I, I love tropes. I think they're interesting, mm-hmm. you know? But I, I think it's interesting because he's, he's kind of calling us out for two things, I feel like. One is, you know, the target audience. And we, we talked about this last time with Real Housewives of Salt Lake City. We're not the target audience for it. Like, that's right. that's not our thing. Um, but the second thing is that he he called this a parody, whereas we were talking more about it being satire last time. And satire, I feel like, you know, talks... It's trying to make a point about it, whereas parody, it's just, kind of like what he said, it's just replicating, and you're laughing at the replication, not necessarily on any statement they're making for it. And it made me think of um, this SNL sketch that I love, it's um, Kylo Ren as an undercover boss. And so it's not commentary on... The undercover boss show nor on star wars it's just hey what if we took these two things and combined them um but the difference being that was a five minute sketch and um if it's a full-length film (laughs) about real housewives you know uh, might not be our seed and and that's okay so i don't know do you have any thoughts with that
0: yeah no i i completely agree with the idea that you know that that the satire and the parody is is meant for fans you know and so so they're going to be able to appreciate it more um i just i I guess i guess it's a matter of just two different audiences right because my because of my feelings about reality television or at least this this branch of it right because there are so many different different variations um but i just you know would find more satisfaction in just something scathing about it because i just find it so repulsive you know and and so i guess i guess if the if the target audience is reality fans then it it makes sense to want to to mirror that style um i guess you would make something else for people who just despise the reality television or, or maybe there's a way to walk that line you know all, all i can say is that I've had multiple experiences where even though I could recognize the humor and and the talent and the skill behind the satire or parody, it was just giving me the same reaction that I had to kind of the original stuff, right? Mm -hmm. The, the, the subject matter. And so I don't know, I, I guess I agree and disagree at the same time. I totally, you know, totally understand the point. I think, yeah. I think it is a good point. Uh, that doesn't, that doesn't make me <laughs> want to. <laughs> we
1: we want. agree with you, Jacob. We just don't want to see it. That's, that's, <laughs> <what I guess laughs> to.
0: Maybe that's the best way. <laughs> oh, oh. Well, maybe, I don't know if this is, I don't know if this is a good response but it it did pop to mind, so it might be worth throwing out there. Sure. Um, so without, without going into too much detail or depth, I can't stand the Pitch Perfect movies. I absolutely hated them. And it was such a cathartic experience to watch the Honest trailer for the Pitch Perfect <laughs> series because I just loved the fact that Oh, thank goodness! Somebody else sees what I see mm-hmm. and understands what I'm. What is driving me crazy about these stupid movies? And maybe that's not the truest. You know, I mean, it's it's you know, it's not necessarily a pair It's not a parody of those movies. It's a parody of a movie trailer, right? Mm-hmm. And and so so I guess if it if I, I guess if I hated movie trailers, and I kind of do actually. Like, <laughs> I, uh, maybe, maybe I would have more of a problem with, with the honest trailer format itself, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. So that's why I say, it, I guess it's, it's related and unrelated, but, uh, just, I don't know. Some, sometimes there's satisfaction in knowing that other people recognize the madness that, uh, that, that you are not the crazy one, that you're not taking crazy pills mm-hmm. as, uh, as Mugatu might have said.
1: Well, that's why there's, like, a lot of people who are, like, hate fans, right? They, like, hate watching a movie. So maybe we'll just get together and we'll hate watch Real Housewives at the North Pole and just enjoy trashing on it and
0: everything. (laughs) I don't know. Let me get back to you on that
1: one. Oh, that sounds
0: good. Years ago, I heard, and I've always kicked myself because I've never been able to pin down the exact source of this. I heard it on the radio. I think it was NPR. Um, but I heard somebody say once that the ideal satirist is someone who has one eye on society's foibles and the other eye on society's potential mm-hmm. and so i 've always loved the idea that that satire and parody can be a positive thing and an uplifting thing and it's 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 supposed to be us kind of laughing at ourselves um, as opposed to so much of what our humor is today which is which is snark and and you know, just kind of n- not the sarcasm itself is bad, but you know, just kind of this this bitter, nasty sarcasm that that I think is really pervasive. Mm-hmm. I like the idea that you know we all need to be able to kind of laugh at ourselves, and and uh, and when that comes through, I think that's that's really valuable. And and so I definitely think that there can be you know some nice potential to this uh, you know the, this housewives project. Um, mm-hmm. I, I definitely understand the argument and agree with it to a point. Um, But I can definitely say that, you know, if I just feel like I'm watching another episode of the thing that I, that I hate, it's not, maybe it's not doing its job, if that's what it is.
1: We really appreciate the comments, and if any of you guys have any comments on this episode, please go to our YouTube channel, utah.film, dot is all spelled out, and comment on this episode what you think, keep the conversation going.
0: No, we absolutely want to hear what you guys have to say. Um, we'll be putting up new content on utah.film, our, our website, um, reviews for you know movies like Old and, and other things that are going on. And so be sure to check that out. And uh, in the meantime, we'll be working up some material for podcast number three. And until then, thanks so much for spending time with us. And, uh, Danny, any final thoughts?
1: Um, just thank you for coming back, and we're excited to keep this going.
0: It's nice. Maybe we'll run into you in Bicknell. <laughs> All right. Take care.